Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go. Mid-30s skateboarder, I hope I don't get hurt. Mid-30s skateboarder, I hope I don't get hurt. Hello and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 97. Um, I'm still in one piece. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what you're referring to, Greg. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know, like, I've been because I've been playing Tony Hawk's and there's a song on the soundtrack mid twenty skateboarder. Um, yeah, that song makes me which... feel like shit. Because <laughs> in that song he's supposed to be too old for it. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 fucking hilarious because it's just such a mood. Have you seen the music video as well? No, no, I haven't. Oh, there's a bit towards the end. Like basically, it's basically them trying to skateboard and not being as good at it as people younger than them and failing mm. miserably and getting injured. And then like, as a whole, there's movie. another <laughs> yeah. there's another song on the end of it called Blood Clot. And in the video for that song, which is like a, a short, because the videos link up. So, in the video for that song, um, there's a guy. There's like this uh, skateboarders injured skateboarder support group or something. And there's a guy handing out flyers for longboards, the safer skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. Yeah. Um, but yes, we are uh, episode ninety-seven of Ace Comicals, and I have both my co-hosts today. That's Ray and Leon. Evening, guys. Radical. <laughs> yes. Tubular. Gnarly, dude. Yeah, so, um, like, what have we been up to since, like, we had all of us on the same, like, cast? Because that's not happened for a long time. I know what I've been doing. I've been reading comics, but I don't know about you two. Yeah, pretty much, um, like, regular stuff, watching movies, reading, studying, you know, the... The daily, the daily things. What about you, Rahul? Uh, since the last cast, not much extra actually. Um, been playing a game called A Monster's Expedition, which is really cute. Um, it's like a soccer bond um, block pushing game, and uh, I forget who the designer is, but he's done a lot of these kind of games before. Like um, uh, a, a good snowman is hard. A good snowman is hard to build. I think it was called. Uh, but the reason I got onto this one is because the writing for the game is done by Philippa War, who uh, I used to write for Rock Paper Shotgun, but I know her from the Crow and Crowbar podcast, and that's the uh, just her presence made me want to play that game, and it's exceptionally cute and nice and puzzly without being too stressful. And yeah, that's that's my latest thing. That sounds very pit. It is very Pip, yeah. It's also very English. Like, it's about a monster walking around outdoor exhibits taken from, like, a an old, like, a long-lost England, which they call England-land. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very funny, and it's very cute. Post-Brexit. <laughs> I, haven't got to, I haven't got to any, like, stop putting politics in my games, man. Um, there's none of that there's yet. A, <laughs> you, get, you get to the coast, and there's a statue of Boris Johnson half-submerged in the sand. <laughs> I don't think it's a dystopian future game, Greg. <laughs> it's, it's too nice for that. <laughs> uh, 
It's not good. It's not a dystopia. It's something that's actually happening, Ray. That's the scary thing. <laughs> it's like you can't call it a dystopia when it's happening. But yeah, um, and we're all living through it right now. But that's why it's more important than ever that we enjoy October for what it is, because October's coming this week. It begins, and I've been looking at the Inktober 2020 prompts, and I've been like generally just trying to enjoy autumn, getting into like the spooky season stuff, like reading horror comics, listening to my spooky season shit. Just, just generally just getting on the Halloween bandwagon because I need Halloween this year. And like, I think we should make it a great Halloween, even if COVID like tries to fuck it up. I, how, I, I don't. How are you planning on doing that? What are you going to do? Like, distanced? I don't know. Uh, I think, I think like maybe I'm thinking I could organize a discord party where we watch horror movie or something or something along those lines, I don't know. But how about like in your neighborhood at home? Um, do you think there'll be people doing, tr- I mean, do you often get trick and treat trick or treaters around in Leicester? Well, I didn't like, this is the first year I've done Halloween where I am right now. Hmm. The, okay. the last time I lived here was three years ago and we had trick or treaters. Okay. So I don't, work- I don't, I don't know what's going to happen this year though, because I don't know like whether social distancing guidelines is going to allow for that. Well, you've got to wear a mask over your mask. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but i don't know like i'm I'm just thinking like to actually celebrate halloween and just i'm gonna decorate the house anyway i'm gonna make jack-o'-lanterns i'm gonna buy myself some haribo <laughs> and uh i'm probably just gonna do like maybe maybe we'll organize like a little discord party and just like watch horror sounds movies nice. or something yeah yeah sounds good celebrate a greatness yeah. sounds yes cool. and uh it's a weekend this year as well which is even better which means i can get lit and uh, I've booked time off work as well. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got like a long weekend across Halloween, which is nice. Um, but yeah, let's, let's not let COVID extinguish our lanterns. And, and let's, let's like make the pledge that, you know, even within the, the, even like to, to the extent that the safety guidelines allow, we should still celebrate and enjoy Halloween because I think, and, and this goes for any holiday right now. Because I think that it's more than ever we need these things like to kind of like bright brighten up what's going on this year for a lot of people. Like any holiday, this is like whatever you celebrate, whatever faith, religion, background you come from, any holiday that, that comes along now, you need to fully embrace it and celebrate it for what it is. And don't let the whole overhanging, you know, like COVID and things like dampen your spirit. Like obviously stay within safety guidelines, do it safely. Don't do anything stupid. Don't meet up in huge groups or anything like that, but at least, you know, enjoy the the holiday, enjoy the celebration and just, just get the most out of it. And that's what I plan to do for Halloween. Yeah. I've been thinking about that in terms of, uh, Diwali this year. Um, and it, it's going to suck not being able to see family or whether or not I'll be able to see family. I'm like, don't know what the situation is going to be close to the time, but yeah, I do intend to at least do my own little, little thing at home, not let it just go away because you know, it has to be, be just the two of us at home. So yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, as, as sad as it might be that you might not get to see family and things like that, I still think that it's important to, at least yeah, mark stay in the good day. Spirits, yeah. yeah, and stay in good spirits. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
other than that, so other than me getting ready for Halloween and sort of like getting my spook on, reading my horror comics and just generally doing my thing, which is like Halloween all year for me near enough anyway. So uh, <laughs> I've been um, listening to, so like I, I've discovered this, this thing called like, cause there's a couple of new metal albums dropped in like recent times that I've been like really into. So there's a new Deftones album uh, that dropped this week, um, which is like it doesn't slap it punches it breaks your jaw it's amazing um <laughs> and there's <laughs> there's a um a, a, an album which is basically so Alison Chains have an album called Dirt which uh, a lot of you will know the track Them Bones the single from the album which was used on the Street Fighter 2 animated movie U- a US soundtrack classic yeah <laughs> so what are this this is like this collection of kind of like um sludge metal doom metal bands that have come together to cover the entire album and it's called dirt redux and it's absolutely fantastic because you've got a different band doing each track and it's just like it's nice to hear their takes on stuff and there's some like real like solid covers on there so i've been listening to that a lot as well like there's an awesome cover of them bones an awesome cover of um uh godsmack and it's just yeah that i mean it's a great album anyway dirt is a great album like not my favorite alice in chains albums because i'm gonna obviously i'm gonna end up mentioning these later on in the cast because this is like a a running theme with like some of the stuff i've got to talk about i don't know why it is it just is in my head but um my favorite alice in chains albums is like a couple of eps which are like pretty maudlin acoustic stuff sap and uh jar of flies which i have on vinyl but um like facelift and dirt are are the ones that have got like all the absolute kind of like the the kind of classics that you end up hearing an awful lot if you've heard an alice in chains track you've probably heard something off either dirt or facelift so but yeah um it's nice to have that cover album of dirt so other than that i picked up um the 30th anniversary edition of um the silver surfer parable book um it's like this oversized breathtaking thing it's just like so majestic (laughs) so you got this like huge beautiful hardback edition which is like oversized and it's got like huge pages and it's parable it's it's such a timeless such a timeless and wonderful story anyways it's mobius and, and stanley and um it just I don't know, there's just something about this particular Silver Surfer story that just, and it, it really does actually stand out among other Marvel tales of the time and everything else. And, and I'm not surprised it won an Isa at the time. It's a great, great story. And we know about Silver Surfer Parable. It's a classic. It's like something that is like, it's a known quantity, but it's just nice to have this oversized hardback edition, this beautiful hardback on my shelf with this like dust cover that folds out into a huge poster and I was just kind of like pouring over it and this oversized pages they give the story and they give the art more space to breathe and it's just it's beautiful so yeah that's just um there's that and then like what else I oh yeah x-men because like this is this is the thing now like comics is like back in full so there's like all this stuff just hitting all at once like so the stuff that's going on in the X-Men books right now, like I've been catching up because there's this event coming up called X of Swords, which is like um, the only, the easiest way for me to explain X of Swords is to explain to you 
Um, have you have you ever watched Dragon Ball Super? I've never watched Dragon Ball, which I've never admitted on this cast before. Right, because Dragon Ball Super um, has this this kind of like tournament arc where they pick champions for each dimension, like different different dimensions pick champions, and then they go fight it out in a big tournament somewhere in space, um, and like they have a team of champions from each dimension, and uh, what X of Swords is is two different dimensions with teams of champions <laughs> that are going to fight it out. Um, and it's, it's pretty epic. Um, and it's just, it's, I mean, like I love X-Men like, and, and like, this is the best that X-Men has been for decades. Like, it's just so nice to be able to be so excited for X-Men books and to be able to catch up on them and to be getting X-Men books weekly and everything and to, to enjoy these characters again in such a way. It's just, it's just really cool to have that there. And, you know, like I, I, I can't describe the feeling, but yeah, it's, it's really cool to be able to enjoy X-Men this much again. And when X of Swords has concluded, um, I would like to be able to discuss it on the cast because I want to come back to it and discuss it. There's another thing I want to come back to and discuss. I was going to talk about issue one today, but I feel like I want all three of it. I feel like I want the whole thing available before I talk about it. And that's um, Batman three jokers because I picked it up thinking it might not be that great. Um, I know. I mean, and it's got a great team behind it, but I picked it up thinking because it's Jason Fabric and uh, Jeff Johns. And I picked it up thinking that maybe it's going to be like, my initial thoughts were, am I, am I going to be rubbernecking when I buy this? Am I buying this just to see like a three ambulance pile up or something? But then like I was reading it and I, yeah, I absolutely love it. Fell in love with it. I mean, I, I'm biased because I'm a Batman fan anyway, but like that is going to be something I want to talk about at some point as well when all of it's available, because I think it's a great book and it just, I don't know. It's just, it's just like a classic Batman, like one of those classic Batman stories that you just get really into that kind of like grip you. Um, and yeah. And then other than that, there's a book called Stillwater that I checked out, which I want to wait for more of that to become available before I talk about it. Cause that's really cool. So, um, premise is two guys go on a road trip to a town because they get, um, one of them gets left something, but or gets like, uh, kind of like mentioned in the will of a dead relative and supposedly, like has something to collect like a fortune maybe or a house they don't know they just know they've been in the will because the lawyer turns up to tell them um but in the town of stillwater people can't die and uh, the first issue is mainly these guys learning that i mean they're not very it, it, i don't think this guy's a very nice guy i don't like him uh i don't like the main character i, I don't like his friend either they, they don't strike me as likable people <laughs> and uh, they're traveling to this town it's main, mainly just the road trip in the first issue and then getting to stillwater and then um learning that they can't that people in stillwater can't die because a kid just jumps off a building in front of them <laughs> and then just gets up to walk away um wow. and it's uh it's chip zadarsky uh ramon k perez and mike spicer and uh, when when there's more of that available i'll be able to talk about that in more detail but it's one of those things where issue one isn't enough so far i need more of it and then i can actually like proper go off on one about it um 
Oh yeah, and uh, movies wise, I checked out the Dark Phoenix because it's now on Disney, and uh, all I have to say about that is, what even the fuck is that movie? It's amazing, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's battling for Suicide Squad for its place in the bin water at the bottom of the dumpster. It really is. It's like <laughs> Wait a minute, they had a second chance to do the Dark Phoenix story on the on the silver screen. They even had the same writer this time. He was directing it. I think they nailed it. Like. <laughs> Two, two turns, nailed it on the second one. Yeah, it had everything going for it, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't got around to watching it, and by all accounts, I don't think I will. But... Yeah, don't. No, it's not. It's yeah. it's like because it's just so disjointed. I, and, I mean, it's, it, I, I feel like there's probably like what what makes me hurt the most is I feel like there's probably a really good film in there somewhere. Yeah, but they just the fucked problem, up so much. It's like... I have is that they generally have quite a good cast who they continually uh, waste since first mm. class. And the time-skipping thing doesn't make sense. They've been doing from movie to movie. But all that divorced, after the absolute garbage that was Apocalypse, they should just <laughs> call it quits or whatever and just gone home, let Disney swallow them up and whatever happened. But the fact that Simon Kinberg was able to uh, convince all these people to come back, like, I'm sure um, Jennifer Lawrence when she signed her initial thing for First Class all the way back when she hadn't won her Oscar yet. She doesn't need to be doing these movies. Oscar Isaac had just blown up after he had signed on dotted line to be in the Apocalypse movie. So you, you can see why he was uh, stuck in there. And thankfully, he knows not better to come back for any reason. But there's just no reason for this movie to be there. And it's not even to say, like, so bad it's offensive. It's just a nothing movie. Like... You'll gain or lose nothing watching it. You'll just be in like a void of time. Like I, the only the only things I remember from that movie are stuff from like the trailers, and I've seen the movie. So yeah, it's just don't even be curious about it. It's not even a drunk watch or anything like okay. that. It's just a complete waste of time. Honestly, yeah. don't man. Yeah, just just like it needs to get in the bin. Along yeah, I've no compulsion. It's just like yeah, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. Ugh. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know, it's like, in all fairness, the X-Men timeline is a mess anyway. So anyone that can make sense of that or, or fix that, like, it, 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 fix that into a two-hour film or fix even part of that into a two-hour film in a coherent way. I don't even need stuff to be canon. Like, it doesn't have to flow from one to the other it just needs to be entertaining well, and like true to the yeah. characters and like we we always have logan so we can always yeah. look back on that right yeah, yeah, exactly I mean, the reason i i bring the, that up in between the things because i think that that decision they've done has actually hurt the movies because mm. at least with the original fox movies it was all around the same time like turn of the century but by doing a movie set in the 60s, which is awesome and cool and one of the best in the franchise and then jump into the 70s okay you could you can uh, feel that time gap and they get to do like more, I guess, Vietnam stuff or blah, blah. But then jump into the 80s just because the 80s are in now and then jump into the 90s because now that the 90s are in. What it does is that you don't really get any, not character development or growth, but you just have weird things where the characters just seem to like freeze for a decade. And then when they unfreeze, when you watch the movie, they're the exact same people. And you, like you don't really yeah. feel... Uh, any chance uh, for them to like change or like mature at all? So it's, it's like that they're, they're trying to adapt something that's like 
borderline unadaptable because it's it's so convoluted and spirals in on itself so many times. But it's, like, I think I just I think that like there's so many things that have been deemed unfilmable and stuff, and we've got them. We've had them. We got our Cloud Atlas movies and, and such and such, uh, English Patient and blah blah blah. It's like just write a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like chop out the bits that just don't work, and then uh, having the bits that that do work and do something fun and original. They could have done a really good Dark Phoenix film, easily. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the source material is all there. Like exactly, yeah. a wealth of ideas to uh, to crib from. Yeah, does does uh like to, just read the trade? <laughs> it's just you know, but yeah, I mean, they could have done it, and they could have done it really well, but they didn't, and yeah, so. Don't watch it, please don't. Um, yeah, I mean that that that's pretty much everything that like I've been doing or into <laughs> this past couple of weeks. Um, I've not finished Tony Hawk yet because I've discovered that um, I actually suck at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In contrast, I've one hundred percented it now. <laughs> I have yeah, Rahul's out here doing like million point combos, and I'm struggling to break a hundred k. But that's it- that's a that's another thing. It all just came flooding back, like my fingers are flying over it. I've not felt this good at a game in like a decade. It's great. Yeah. Oh man, I wish. There's only <laughs> one game I've ever I've ever had that power with, and that's Sonic the Hedgehog. The oh. uh, the Sonic Mega Drive games. That's it. That's the only game that I can truly say I have that mass kind of mastery over. But... <laughs> that's that dark power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, shall we move into today's comics? I think we shall, shan't we? Um, yeah, so we are starting today with a comic that we have been lucky enough to uh, get a preview of because this isn't actually in shops until October 21st um, this year. And this is uh, Geiger. Giga. 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 I, I like saying Geiger because I think Geiger sounds a little bit more anime. But I don't know if that's just me in my head. I'm like, Geiger. Like, I'm imagining some kid just shouting Geiger. And then this this big robot comes to help him, comes crashing out of the ground. Like, I don't know, like summoning it. Some kid with spiky hair. I don't know. That definitely sounds better. But I'm reading it with Giga because, like, I'm thinking, like, Gigawatt, Gigaton, whatever. Yeah. So um, the deal with this is it's Vault Comics. And, um, yeah, so what I'll do is I will read you the blurb for Giga... Geiger, Jigger, <laughs> like 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 gigantic. What do you think, Ray? That makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, it sounds yeah. weird as a title on its own, though. Jigger, Jigger. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't shout that to the heavens and expect anything to to drop out. <laughs> no, I, I I think you know why I think Geiger, and then I imagine anime stuff is because Geiger's so close to Geiger. Mm. Geiger yeah. sounds cool. I'll just go with that, yeah. Geiger. Let's yeah. do it. Nobody knows why the skyscraper-sized mechs known as Geiger fought their bitter centuries-long war. All they know is that when the fighting finally stopped, the dormant Geiger became humanity's new habitat and new gods in one. When disgraced engineer Evan Calhoun finds an apparently murdered Geiger in uh, his society and the fa- uh, fascistic tech-centered religious order that controls it are rapidly thrown into chaos. From writer Alex Packendale uh, of Friendo, Turncoat and Incursion and Rising Star John Lee comes another Vault and White Noise partnership about what happens after the mechs stop fighting. Uh, So, I mean, where to begin with this? Uh, Is mech punk already? Are there any other good examples of mech punk in this way? Because I'm 
I'm coining that I'm coining that term and I'm going to try and use it wherever I can because it's the best <laughs> way I can think to try and describe this story to be honest yeah because um, I, I mech punk works especially for like the the latter part of this comic which I'm a little bit disappointed that it is mech punk because I think I liked where it started where it's like nature mech or something you know where it's like all the mechs are like a um a spiritual part of the world that they exist in but i guess that that all falls apart mech mech myth mechology biomech (laughs) biomech biomech is cool it's not really because the mechs themselves aren't really bio but like they they seem to be they seem to fit into a natural part of the world like there's um murals and stuff like ancient drawings of the mechs from ancient history and stuff which is very so cool gaia punk yeah gaia pu- oh gaia gaia Ooh. mech gaia mech gaia giga Mechtholo- gaia mechology <laughs> all of this this we'll 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 brainstorm yeah. this later <laughs> this this mechological tale of uh it, it, this mech punk mechological tale because hmm. they have this like rich mechology that hmm. they subscribe to i like puns uh, so, <laughs> uh, if mechpunk wasn't already a thing, then I guess this book is making it a thing. This book is defining it. And the concept, I think, is pretty cool. I think it's a brilliant concept. Um, I love the design of the giant robots. Like, they look really cool. And they, you, you know what? Like, even the whole the whole concept, actually, of these giant sentient robots that are ancient, that are kind of revered in some way, or worshipped, or give life to other ro- other life forms... Um, kind of reminds me of the Titans from Transformers. So these gargantuan robots that transform into cities or vast starships for other Cybertronians or Transformers. So like examples of which characters like Fortress Maximus, Triptychon or Metroplex. So I don't know if you've ever seen these, like you must've seen them like the biggest toy when you were a kid, they would have been like the biggest transformer on the shelf in the shop. And like it turns into a big starship, but it also turns into a base. Mm, Um, I actually have a couple of them. I've got Metroplex and I've got Scorponok on my shelf. But yeah, I mean, they're kind of like, I I think Scorponok counts as a Titan, the generation one Scorponok. I think it it does get turned into a base type thing. But yeah, this is like, they turn into like cities or things for other like Transformers, which is like a really cool concept. So like part of Autobot City is made up of like, a giant robot, <laughs> which is cool. Um, but yeah, the designs of these robots and the designs of them as kind of like a an ecosystem for humans to live and survive in and like this symbiotic relationship that the people have with the machines. So this is like the thing that I thought was really cool. Like they, they let the people live in the machines because the people, the machines let the people live inside them because the people maintain them. Kind of like we have good bacteria in our gut and drink Yakult to <laughs> subsidize that. Yeah, I liked that, that early conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I really like that early concept with like him, the acolyte or the, the preacher or whatever. And he, he asks him a question like, what do you think our purpose is with these machines? And apparently it's like a, it's a, um, What's the word? Like going against the doctrine to even bring up the idea that we're the we're the variant of bacteria for the mech. Yeah, it's bacteria El, for us. <laughs> yeah, El Casi Immunitas or something like that. That's the what, one. What That's what we are. Yeah, <laughs> something like digestivum or one of those things. <laughs> one of those marketing terms. That's what we are. That's what we yeah. are to these mechs. And like, I like that concept. Like, yeah. You know, Did you call all... him an acolyte or a yakolite? <laughs> 
because I said Yakult, and it just sounded I, very similar. I heard I'm, I'm going to go with that I said Yakolite, but I totally didn't. But it's super clever. <laughs> so let's pretend like I said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so basically we're Yakult for robots in this world. It's the easiest way to explain it. Well, that's what some people think we are in this world, yeah. but that seems to anger the... Uh, the priests mm. of the maintainers yeah. of these robots. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that's the the crux of a lot of religions out there, isn't it? That it's like you can. I mean, yes, we're inferior to this thing that we worship, but also we're not that inferior. Jeez, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're not just a mechanism for their health. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so they have this like symbiotic relationship with the robots. I really want to explore that more, actually. That's the thing that, that hooked me into the book and, and that I enjoyed the most. This this whole kind of like ecosystem, mech punk ecosystem, we'll call it. Um, and there's some really, really cool designs here for the mecha and like mechanical elements. And the art in general is actually pretty cool. Like the level of detail with the robots and things, um, I think is what impress me the most on these pages like these giant vast robots these machines and and like the level of kind of thought and design that goes into the environments of these people living inside the machines like the the, the level of imagination behind that because like what's happening is we're inside the machine with the people at certain points in the book like panel by panel and we are seeing what looks like an abandoned temple and then when you zoom out, that's actually just like 80 square meters of a chest plate. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. Mm. Like the level of kind of like, I don't know, imagination and design behind that. Cool. And the sense of scale that comes from that is really well, yeah. well expressed, I think. Cause exactly. I was trying yeah. to picture like how it's really hard to, I felt like it's really easy to abstract the size of a human versus the size of a robot and like not have them join up but like in the way that i think pacific rim did really well this is finding ways to like measure up humans mm. against the like gargantuan size of these robots and like the the temple you were talking about just now is it turns out to be the head of like one of these dilapidated robots and like mm. that's when it put that sense of scale into perspective i thought i thought like there's some very cool touchstones into making you realize oh it's actually kind of smaller than you realize but that's also huge it's not like mind-blowingly big where yeah. it would be impossible like there's a there's some realism to it which is interesting mm. without getting like too deep into like spoiler territory because this is a preview um it's it, it, there's some awesome themes in here of like uh, loss of religion like questioning of faith and things like that there's a murder mystery um and it's all built around these Giga or Geiger, like whole societies dependent on them and interpreting their presence in different ways, which is really cool. Um, and it's just, I think it's just like a vast thing that you can explore and it's quite a exciting, different concept. I don't know what you think about that. So I mostly agree with everything you've said. I think the, um, like the art style is beautiful. Like I love this vibrant, bright, colorful, uh, naturalistic and like sort of steeped in nature initially. Um, and then the mech punk sort of tone that comes a little later on in this this issue, I really love it. Um, and the 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 theme or the idea that we're you know we have this symbiotic relationship with these with these robots, I, I'm really into. Where it sort of lost me was when it started introducing all these different factions and like different, um, I don't know, like 
belief systems and I think it was just all a bit too overwhelming a little bit too quickly and it's a lot of information thrown at you in the first instance and I feel like I just don't really know where it's going yet um, mm. but I'm being drawn along by like the style I, re- I really like the characters we didn't mention like um, we didn't really talk about the main characters and I think maybe that's part of the problem is I don't really feel super connected I like the I like the fact that the character is a young person of color who is in a wheelchair, but that's that's like a bullet point of who he is. I don't really know much more about him other than those aspects of like his of his being. But then, and yeah. that he's allied with the robots, and he has this like particularly out of the box view of how to interact with these robots, right? Uh, without yeah. giving too much away, but. I don't. I don't feel super connected to it. I just like that they that he exists in this story, and that's kind of enough for me for now. But I want to see that developed later on. Well, I was. I was also yeah. really taken in by how sudden the violence, like the fact that it even existed yeah. in a comic that looked quite cartoony, and then the um like the the depth of the violence that's happening in this, and the fact that it has meaning and it's not just um, gratuitous gore, but it's also quite dramatic and violent it was yeah. int- wasn't expecting that um there's some really interesting touches for like revealing information early on that then gets clarified a little bit later in the book so you get to see the same panel from a slightly different perspective again like i thought some of that stuff was really interesting and i hope they continue to do that because those are the things that i latched onto and felt a connection with um, mm. but the all the exposition and stuff i just found a little bit too overwhelming and i don't really know what the state of the world is i don't know who these people are i don't know what well, they believe in and that's the hook for me because that's what i want to know i want to i want to know about all these different factions that have different ways of interpreting the presence of these giga and things like that giga mm. and and all of this stuff like that's the thing that kind of like draws me in keeps me coming back for more um, because that's the bit that I'm interested in and I'm interested in this, these like cool mech designs and things like that. And mm. also, yeah, like you were saying, like how it went from like naught to a hundred and mm. the, the, how colorful everything is as well. When you were talking about how colorful everything, I, I, I there's like a, a kind of like almost like they've, they've kind of like, um, seeded it with a kind of tribal aesthetic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm into it. I'm down for it and I'd recommend it. And I think you should go out and pre-order it. Um, and that drops into shops on the October 21st, 2020. So <clears throat> I would, uh, I'd look out for that or maybe ask your local, um, your local comic shop, your LCS, if they can order that in for you. And that is uh, credits wise. So that's writer, uh, Alex Packendale, the artist, John Lee. Colorist Roshan Kuchuriano and uh, lettering by Aditya Bidika. Uh, editing by Adrian Vossel. Um, and yeah, so on from there, we are moving on to a book that I read, which is a book called The Autumnal, which is something that I've been seeing a lot of buzz about on Twitter. And it got me very excited about it because it's um, so this is another one. Uh, so Volt are doing this thing um called nightfall which is like this annual kind of like event where they release comics horror comics uh every year and uh, it's like an autumn thing for them which i love because <laughs> so cool and this is where the plot came from we talked about a book called the plot 
on this cast. Uh, the plot was a Nightfall book, and uh, this next one that I'm about to talk about also happens to be a Nightfall book. And this is a book called The Autumnal. So, uh, what I will do, just get you the blurb. So, following the death of her estranged mother, Kat Somerville and her daughter Sybil flee a difficult life in Chicago for the quaint and possibly pernicious, uh, pernicious town of Comfort Notch, New Hampshire, from NY Times bestselling author Daniel Krauss. Uh, of The Shape of Water, Troll Hunters, and The Living Dead, and rising star Chris Sheeran comes a haunting vision of America's prettiest autumn. And uh, it is a very, very, very pretty autumn, I have to say. Um, so I, I live for this stuff. It's a slow burn horror story with a reverence for autumn and a celebration of all that autumn is. Um, I love uh, the autumnal stylings and the crisp colours throughout the comic, like the cool lines, like, just pervasive burned oranges and reds just like in backgrounds and stuff like it, it fully sells the beauty of autumn like every panel you look at there's kind of like some some like brisk looking the weather like it's just that kind of like that perfect autumn weather where it's like a like a brisk sun, like a brisk weather with a sunset or like the sun's rising and you know the, the such beautiful leaves and trees like maybe the trees are too beautiful like there's also this whole thing with themes of new beginnings coming from death and new beginnings facilitated by the death of the old, kind of like seasons where like you go from autumn to spring with like a patch of death and darkness in between. Um, and I, I don't know, like that, that is good. That feels good to me, like to see that. And like, there's a Stephen, there's a picture of a Stephen King first edition in it. <laughs> so they um like in the beginning of the book there's a panel where they go um one of the characters cat goes to the library to pick up a book for her daughter on the way to a meeting with the principal because her daughter's been fighting in class and um basically this is the thing like they're about to skip town so this is like a meeting with the principal after school and she's going to take the kid and they're going to skip town um and she picked up her daughter a uh, first edition of the eyes of the dragon <laughs> by stephen king and um it's like a proper, um, like the cover is like, they've, they've perfectly replicated a first edition cover. So they've just stolen this first edition Stephen King from the library, but let's not, uh, let's not split hairs about that. And, um, yeah, it's, it, I think I thought that was really cool when I noticed that that was like something that I was like, Oh, awesome. Um, and like this mother daughter duo, like they're both like tough, like they take no shit whatsoever. Um, the daughter is like, you know, getting into fights and things because she just doesn't take crap from anyone. And she just, she's only, she's, she's like eight years old, I think in the story, but she's like, um, she's just like, she, she's been taught well by her mother, like, do not take shit from anyone kind of thing. Defend yourself, stand up for yourself, which I really like. And, uh, Kat Somerville's a really cool character as well. Um, so they get on the bus and they head off to this little town and it's just, yeah, from there onwards, it's just basically like a reverence for autumn. And then the final panel happens and like, there's like a slow burn to the reveal of what's actually going on in this small town as well through the use of like children's rhymes and chalk graffiti on the pavement and things like that, which I quite like. Um, so yeah, it's like this, these panels have like painted edges as well. Like the whole thing 
smells of cold air and bonfires in these panels have got like these rough painted edges it has like a strange rough quality that it actually lends to the book and it works to me for the whole ambience and the mood that it's trying to sell and it does that like so successfully um i think the word i'm looking for actually when i'm talking about like rough and things like that it's not it's not rough because it's not rough it's it's deliberate and designed that way and it's beautiful but i think the word i'm looking for is grunge which brings me full circle back to Alice in Chains and uh, Sap and Jar of Flies by Alice in Chains because that's like the specific mood that I get from it. It's the same as the music that I enjoy. Um, and I think maybe that's just me with my taste for maudlin acoustic rock, but whatever. Um, yeah, and inside, within the panels, there's like bold colours with like a stark contrast and it's it has this quality to it with like shadows and shapes that seem to kind of like pass over the characters uh, in the way that it's colored um, and almost like light coming through leaves, I guess for me. So, you know, like when you stand under a tree and you've got like dappled light coming through leaves and some of it's translucent, some of the leaves are translucent, some of them aren't and they're casting like varying hardnesses of shadow over whatever's beneath. Mm, yeah. And it kind of has that kind of air to it, which I kind of like. Um, it's possibly done like that on purpose to mirror leaves and, and the shadows that leaves might cast because of the whole theme of the book. Um, yeah, the build in the first issue is amazing. Exactly what you need for this time of year. Leaves dancing across the page in certain places as well. So like as you go through the book, you've got um, pages where like over the top of what's happening in the uh, in the page itself. So you've got like panel by panel and then over the top of that, you've got a leaf that falls from the top panel all the way to the bottom and then lands on the pavement in the last panel. To, and, and it's like the impression that these leaves are falling as everything else is happening, which kind of like gives you like a real sense of time and everything else and really puts you there. Um, and um, yeah, it, there's something really weird about these trees. <laughs> in this town because they're like really beautiful trees and apparently they grow nowhere else and uh the chill really creeps up on you through, through the song that the, the songs that these children are singing and it's like it's all seeded in there from the beginning when uh sybil compares her mother's black eye to the shape of a leaf that she finds on the ground and all of a sudden that leaf is kind of like snatched out of her hand by some guy who's raking leaves up and he's like don't do that and he's got like this, then all of a sudden he kind of like changes tone and he's got like this creepy wide smile. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I, I, I didn't realize I just, you know, it's somewhat weird about these leaves, maybe. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't touch them. Um, but yeah, like this book's fixation on flora is just like there, start to finish. And it's great. I love it. And I love where this is going. And I just, I just want to see more of this, this kind of like this. I want to see this kind of like this, this, this horror unfold with these, these, this whole thing with these trees and, and the plants in this town and, and what's happening with, especially with the final page as well. Like when we get to the final page and we've got this, like that reveal on the final page, like, wow, I, I'm not going to, I, I want to talk about it because it's amazing. It's an amazing page and it's an amazing piece of full page work, but I don't want to talk about it because doing that would completely spoil the first issue for you and you need to read it. Um, so yeah, you have to check this out. You really have to. And like parting thoughts on this, like have either of you ever looked up at a, at the silhouette of a tree 
and and seen like a circulatory system or a central nervous system instead yeah of course yeah like when you look at a tree like in the autumn like a winter evenings like you look up against the dimming light in the sky and you just see veins and capillaries like spreading out and it's just like black veins and capillaries spreading out against the night sky or against like the the dusk and it's just like really fucking unsettling well this book taps into that (laughs) especially being like a city kid uh, instead of Mm. the moon it was always like street lights uh, blasting through causing all that yeah but like it, when it's not even, I mean, like that point before it even hits, like for, like where it's dusk, so there's still some light in the sky, and you look up through the like branches of the tree. Like I used to do it on the way home in the car when I was like in the car with my parents. I'd be looking out at trees, and I would imagine, like I just used to look at, the, I just used to see like diagrams of circulatory systems when I used to imagine that maybe there's a heart inside that tree pumping away. Like imagine that, like a kind of like a. a the tree's actually like screaming because it's stuck in the ground and it can't move and it's like growing upwards and outwards and it's just like this 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 circulatory system with a heart in the center of it that's just kind of like stuck twisted in you're place. describing like a tortured ant or something yeah <laughs> maybe i am <laughs> but yeah this is this is just yeah you know i don't know that's just me and my weird imagination but yeah that is uh the autumnal and that is another one on vault comics and uh that is available now because that came out uh, this week, 23rd of the 9th. Uh, that is uh, art by Chris Sheehan, uh, writer Daniel D. Krauss, uh, colours by Jason Wordy, letters by Jim Campbell. And uh, yeah, I, we've got um, design by uh, Tim Daniel as well. Tim Daniel did a lot of work on this. So yeah, um, that is one to check out for this time of year. It is absolutely perfect for this time of year. So it's, some, it's something that you have to, you have to get, you, get your hooks into. Because it's great. Um, on from there, Leon. Yes, uh, I'm going to talk about a comic that I read recently called Big Girls, and this is Big Girls, uh, published by Image. Um, the uh, it's written and illustrated by Jason Howard, and the lettering is done by Phonographics. So. Uh, Big Girls, the best way to sort of explain it is it's like Neon Genesis Evangelion slash Pacific Rim meets Attack on Titan with a hint of Death Stranding's lore. And what I mean by that is at some point in the past, there was a calamity. Uh, The lay people, normal people going around, they have no idea what caused it. But uh, it could have been science testing or uh, changes in climate. Who knows? But what happened is that it uh, it started to turn people into monsters. And we're not talking about like the monster who can fit under your bed. We're talking skyscraper tall giant beasts who basically laid waste to every metropolitan area they could get their hands on. Uh, Fast forward now to the uh, the present, and you have uh, a team of uh, operatives who work to uh, protect uh, like what's left. I mean, at this point, don't know how big and vast the world is of like survivors and stuff, but there is a protected city that they refer to as the preserve. And inside the preserve, they kind of act quite uh, authoritarian, uh, where they 
keep a strong eye on everyone and everyone's under watch because uh, pregnancies need to be registered now because someone might have a, a child and uh, not report that uh, they found out that their kid is a monster. Um, and so that's where like all the sort of references I was coming to, because you have this like set city, which can be beset at any times, which is super uh, Ava, because like the capital of like operations is right there. Everyone's trained in sign, kind of like Attack on Titan style. And the Death Stranding part comes from, um, at the start of the game, they tell you that uh, after whatever's happened in, in, in the past of that world, uh, when people die, you need to get rid of the bodies and get them away from population because the, the death of people puts, uh, I can't remember all the Death Stranding lingo at the moment, um, <laughs> but it, it puts like a thing into the air that attracts like beasts from like another dimension or whatever and, and they beset. So that's why um, if say someone committed suicide uh, and you didn't know, they'd be causing a big risk because in, in 24 to 72 hours, uh, their their like embers or whatever could um, attract people to the city. So you have th this whole setup, and there's like an extra wrinkle. And what it is is that part of this team, which is like normal sized people, uh, they go around doing like the grunt work and the de the detective stuff. But the last line of defense against monsters appearing in the city or trying to attack the city, uh, you have uh, giant women, or rather. The big girls of the uh, of the title, and uh, what's revealed very early on is that this um, uh, I was going to call it a virus. It's not really that, but this this thing that happens, um, it, it only mutates uh, males, whereas uh, women that are affected with it, or females that are affected with it, um, they just get the large stuff, but they don't get the mutation part. So. Uh, they are like tossed into basically being <laughs> a human mechs um, to to fight off the monsters, and as as of all these types of things, there's lots of questions about your own humanity and how far you're going to uh, to protect everyone, and and all those all those things. And there's there's loads of like relationships in the background to do with like who knew who this person when and blah blah. But what what it really works well, um, like doing in in its first issue is that I know I think it quickly sets up this world and sets the stakes like really quickly. And there's um, like a lot of like hints in there about something deeper and even just the general meaning, like the idea that like um, uh, only only boys turn into monsters something uh there is like in canon or or like diegetic commentary on like male to toxicity but like taken as like a, 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 an extra metaphor uh and uh, yeah there's a lot to to dig in but like just uh talking like what what's raw on the page i think the the comic's really good because uh, like it has this cool art style where it's like sort of like a uh, very like line based with like uh, strong like gradient colors uh, uh, all the people's designs they're quite angular they've got like sharp chins and like sharp noses and stuff and it, it lends itself to and this is not going to be the first time I say this out of the comics that I've read this way like it has this great setup of like a cool anime because it's a really cool high concept 
and uh, to skip over stuff that I'd probably deem spoilers, um, you have you have an attack basically <laughs> that that uh, ends the first issue, um, and yeah, it, it's set up so cool because they have like watchtowers and everything, and there's clandestine intrigue in terms of uh, what mistakes people have done in the past and uh, regret and what happens to uh, the uh, the people who get left behind, the people who have gigantic children and such. But like where we at, uh, at at the beginning, there's a lot of um, consideration on like the um, the morality of it, uh, especially earlier on. Well, midway through, there's um, an exchange where like uh, a character is saying to uh, Ember, who is the um, the titular big girl currently. Um, there, he he joke uh, like a, a, a commander type character jokes to her that another character is worried that they're um, like uh, needlessly worried that they're going to be like King Kong style, and and she replies, "Pretty sure King Kong like the lady, uh, the Doctor is one of the helicopters." And it, uh, there's a lot of um, like seeds set in for what's to come. So I thought it was. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was quite a quite a solid start, and they do uh, like really cool things with. I, I always like a good color palette, especially like uh, denoting different uh, like actions as well, as well as just like location. So, in a few of pages where the characters are speaking to each other, you have like quite a dull, like scientific sort of pewterish gray. And then uh, when we're seeing like the an attack about to happen on the city, we get this nice sort of it's a mix of it's kind of dusk. It's more like actually it's it's the dusk that we're now seeing in California because of the wildfires. When everyone is put, putting those videos up of San Francisco, the sky being red, it kind of has that look. And um, yeah, it's really cool. Like the, it it all works together to wordlessly. Uh, give you an idea on the geography and location of different events happening, and I mean this is a first issue, so a lot of a lot of it is set up and uh, a special, especially set up um, in creating the world, and um, I think it does a great job of that, which is often sometimes can be a criticism that I that I offer sometimes if I feel like I finished the first issue and it's like I've only had the cold open or something, but this issue. Um, there's good action. There's there's a nice fight, and there's a nice there's uh, a good use of like interiority, if that is a word. Where during big action scenes, we do spend some time in in like uh, a character's head, and a, a lot of times with these type of stories, you can get um, a thing where it's, oh, it's all about the cool smash mash and like boom explosions or stuff like this. But there is a big um, but subtle um, focus on the whole reason for this, the whole reason for the preserve and protecting humans, and isn't isn't a man of steel blowing up Metropolis? Uh, it, it is a case of like, yeah, I, I'm I'm for all intents and purposes speaking from Emma's point of view, a monster like these people, but like um, she's like a walking mech basically, but her job is to still catch the people who fall out of buildings and make sure they get home safe. Um, 
it's, it's quite cool. Uh, I would I'd recommend um, trying out uh, issue one and and seeing um, how you find it. I I quite enjoyed it, and uh, I know there's another issue out, um, and I'm going to check that out probably straight after this podcast. So um, yeah, that's my recommendation for big girls. Awesome. Uh, sounds like something I ought to check out. <laughs> I need to give that. Yeah, because I think that the monster design. I don't want to go too much into ev- like the the details, um, but the monster design's pretty cool as well. It's um, I was expecting sort of Godzilla-y rip-off star things or like your basic kaiju. Um, mm. But yeah, this one, like the first thing that we see that is monstrous is different to what you're expecting. And, and the the attack on the city is, uh, it's, it's a cool idea. And I'm uh, interested to see um, where they go in the future. Awesome. Um, the next book on our list is also you, Leon. And Rahul, you read this one too? Yeah, this is Seven Secrets that I picked up on Leon's recommendation. So, Leon, do you want to give the blab? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, up at the top, I'll just say that uh, Seven Secrets is a new comic uh, published by Boom Studios. I believe it also has two issues out at the moment. Um, I've only read the first one, but the the writer is Tom Taylor. Uh, The art is done by Daniel D. Nuku, I knew I was going to mess that up uh, the first time. I, I apologize, your art is amazing. But yes, uh, Nuku Ola. I'm going to say that and have it wrong. Um, and the colors are done by uh, Walter Biamonte. Uh, and it says with uh, assistance by uh, Katia Renali. And the letters are done by Ed Dukeshire. And uh, the basic concept of seven secrets is that um the titular secrets are words wonders weapons and worse as described in the comic and there's seven of them uh, uh and they're they're kind of like a bunch of in their own ways because what, from what we see in the first issue they uh, are these unseen sort of pandora's boxy type uh, things that it's intonated that one or maybe the use of all seven sunk Atlantis or something. And this is all like the first few pages um, when we're given uh, the cool sort of setup of, of, of the world and the law. And um, kind of, uh, kind of like in an, in an algorithm type way as in the algorithm. um, It it seems like you want to collect all of them Thanos style so you can do something. And um, to to stop these falling into bad hands, an order uh, was created, the Order of the Seven, and they protect the um, the Seven Secrets uh, in a way that is connotated to be sort of scattered around uh, like the planet, and they like because they've caused so many different wars and stuff, so they split them up, and then each secret has like a sort of team of two on it. Um, a keeper and a holder and the team like work together to protect and secure and s- to stop any threats against each secret and they've all got like a mandate it's a job for life and uh kind of like a religious order because your your life is dedicated to the secrets you're not allowed to sort of have a family and all that and um 
don't, I don't know how much I want to say, but because it's the, the setup of the thing, I'm, I'm just going to say what it is because it's only a few uh, episodes in. But like the the book is being well, the the story is being uh, narrated by an unseen uh, person called Casper, and uh, what we see is uh, an attack uh, happen in uh, London because the old uh, Brompton Street tube station is is the actual like uh, <laughs> main base of the seven. So that's a, it's, it's a cheap shot to get me, but like I always love stuff that's set in like London and places that I recognize and stuff is just cool. And this is cool because we have a, like a great action scene with a uh, one of the, uh, I believe the holder of the secret who's part of a team of two who is um, escaping from uh, some sort of siege. And uh like the the two um the the two are the two are separated you have uh, Sigurd and uh Ava and Ava is just just this hyper competent badass who just like backflips around and has cool like uh transporting not transporting uh transforming backpacks and can, rides a mean bike in between double decker buses um mm -hmm. and while like this is happening we're getting uh, getting backstory on what what sort of led here and uh, yeah it's middle story i don't think it's really the crux of the thing so i'm just going to say what it is so like uh, the un unseen child casper is the child of sigurd and ava and so we're we're sort of seeing like how they got into the situation what the decision was made by the council and what ramifications this could possibly have. Well, in, in the current, in the present timeline, which is 15 years later from the stuff that we've seen, is um, this is when we get an attack and, and, and uh, Sigurd and Ava are separated. And um, for me, again, like I was saying before, like it has this cool, like London based anime uh, type look. Um, like I've never not really seen. Uh, like London streets, like look in this way, like the way they're coloured, the way they're um, where they're drawn, like the line work, and the fact it, that it's contemporary. Because sometimes when you see London in anime or manga, it's like Victorian London or like uh, I don't know, some sort of old school, exactly, uh, or sapia tinted London, yeah, or some like yeah, some like Hogwartsy based thing. Because mm. um, I I do love when stuff where the mystical. Or like the hyper sci-fi that is that is current day bumps up against um, like the present day and all the muggles walking around. Um, I do love stuff like this where it's like just out of sight. Um, I can't like we were talking about um, the old guard uh, two episodes ago. Um, that whole idea of like the contemporary running with the mystical at the same time, and I think that the um, the frames are like really well composed. And while there is like um, Kind of like minimal dialogue boxes, despite that we're getting like a voiceover. I think the images carry a lot as we see sort of the uh, the field of like fallen soldiers, everyone trying to protect or get their hands on, on one of the secrets. And um, I think the uh, previously discussed action panels are, are pretty good. Um, I like the character designs. Um, especially Ava, who is uh, like a woman of color and she has like cool short hair and uh, she, look, she looks pretty bad. <laughs> she, she looks 
mega like uber uh, um just like the the agent the one who who can get stuff done <laughs> and the, the one who can do the day of sex machina and, and like go back when everyone else can't and i think it, it, it's a, a pretty cool setup the way i think about it it's kind of like a prologue to like the, like a big adventure and like bouncing off what i was saying before in regards to uh big girls and, and how that overcomes an issue i sometimes have issue ones this does a different thing but manages to overcome that issue at the same time um and like the i think it's a setup that leaves you wanting in terms of you want to see what happens next because everything is uh it, we're in the midst of things um and we're getting secrets revealed and we're, we're learning more and more about this world uh, and we don't just have like it doesn't feel this way anyway don't we don't just have exposition for like pages and pages and pages like things there's that there's human feeling uh and emotion and sacrifice there there's a lot of like real uh i don't know like humanity in there and i think that's because of the voiceover but um Overall, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed it. What, what were your? So I have a bit of a dilemma because I read the second issue, oh, and sorry. so I'm. If if you had read it, I would have talked about what happens in the second issue because, like, the readers have sorry, the listeners have the option to turn this off, but you don't. So I'm, I'm gonna not say too much about where the second issue goes, but what you said about issue one being the beginning of a great adventure, I think you're on the money on that, um, and it. I think the second issue picks up in a really interesting way and uh, it develops these like characters that it kind of forces you to love in the first issue. So taking a step back, love the artwork. That's the first thing that drew me in. I like how clean, cartoony, uh, like Western sort of anime, which if, you, if, if you're not careful, that can feel really yeah. either trite or feel like it's trying too hard to be something that isn't. Feel hollow. Yeah, a bit hollow, whereas this really works. Like, it's a really... It reminds me of um, The Last Airbender a little bit, and the same The Last Airbender comics, which find that marriage between, like, East and West really well. Um, this sort of has the same thing. I like how vibrant and colourful it is. I, I love a good MacGuffin. Like, that's one of the things I love about anime and manga is, like, more than Western comics, I think they have this... This, like, you can stem the idea of a story based on just the MacGuffin. And in this one, it's the seven secrets, but the the point of these seven secrets isn't really the thing dragging you along. It's kind of like, because uh, they're represented by briefcases, so it kind of brings to mind like pop fiction and mm. like the fact that you never see what's in it. I hope that they don't really go too far into revealing what it is, That's but that's something like, the fact that I'm not even caring about what's in the briefcase, but I can see the urgency of what they're trying to protect. And that's that's given in like a character sense and an action sense. It's given in the sacrifices made to protect what's in these. And like that is all very deftly explained in like four or five initial pages um, and setting up like not just like the concept, but also because it's sort of in media res or it's like saying the end of the story at the beginning because you see this this big event occur and then it cuts back to Kaspar beginning his narration um, about Eva and... What's the guy's name? I've forgotten already. Sigurd? Uh, and Sigurd. Um, 
but yeah, and then it goes on to like really make you care about these people and the the things that they're going through and why they care so much about the the doctrine they're a part of and why it's so important. Loved all of it. And then in the second issue, I really like how they keep going with that. Like it's it's definitely focused more on the characters and why this stuff is so important to them um, and what's driving them. And then also how like our lead lead protagonists how they grow in the second one is really interesting um really keen to hear what you think about the second issue or like i'm this is one of those where i really think i'm gonna keep going with it because it's grabbed me right from the start um, i'm pleased pleased to hear that because that that sounds super promising because sometimes that can happen where issue one ha- is is playing all the right notes hmm. um, and then issue two is like this is what it's really about and of oftentimes uh the issue two it's like, oh, they're going this path. It's not really what I was hoping to buy into, and you sort of bounce off. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that it's, um, at least for that issue, um, heading in a direction that I, um, that interests me more. Yeah, and because I think the thing that works is it's bouncing between this, um, like, maybe it's tried to call it, like, East and West, but, like, this Western type of storytelling, but then the the second issue kind of goes more into that anime-style like hero protagonist who is going through training and stuff like it's that sort of concept um and i'm just i'm really into that whole thing because that's always exciting it's always like fun learning about the mechanisms of this world that you're you know been introduced to and has all these strange concepts and strange MacGuffins and strange you know things that occur that's different to our world and then seeing how somebody's like learning through that process um that that's always loads of fun to me it's got like that narrow door sort of vibe to it yeah um, and yeah so i'm here for that and what else i just think i don't know i think it's very like like you were saying that is very vibrant there some of the action panels are really incredible there's a couple of uh splash pages which i might be mixing up between the two different issues but they they have the same sort of concept like they've they've gone landscape but then they've got the panels at like um like at different slants, like at different rectangles that are angled to each other. And it's, I don't know, I just, I really liked how dynamic the whole thing is. Yeah, because, uh, oh, sorry, continue. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, because uh, going off that point, I really do love, yeah, the um, like the panel structure and the composition. So say mm. uh, there's a, a moment where there's like a, a sad phone call. Uh, um, I was just looking at that. Yeah, and it, 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 it's so good. Like what you're saying about the... Um, sort of the pillars because uh, you, you get sort of like a extreme sort of widescreen panel at the top uh, like landscape and then you get like three portrait like towering uh, panels and they look good uh, the colors are great because you've got this cool sort of red playing off with the black but then also you're getting like parts of people's faces so you it's ca- carrying the motion and then they do a cool thing that which I really love and I always forget to talk about it and stuff is um mm-hmm. When people uh, like color uh, speech speech bubbles, I love it. I love it. It's it's my favorite. Like I just love I love uh, good good use of like speech bubbles and lettering, especially. And um, it, it I don't know like it's it's a page that's like four really iconic panels on it. Like they just look really good and they convey quite a lot. And um, it manages to like keep like the momentum of everything um and as you're like following them down because they're the panels are sort of stair stepping 
uh, it does bring you to the next action on the next page, which is, I, I think it was just really, really well done, really well composed. Mm. Yeah, so to that to that sequence you were mentioning earlier where there's like a phone call happening, um, like that particular thing where it sells... So for a start, it's really moody and like you get to see both halves of that conversation that's occurring and like there's a lot of gravity to the moment and to the situation and like what I love about this is that it gets to express this urgency and this heaviness but through... not through like explaining itself too much, like the words are quite slight or uh, that like it's not throwing lots of exposition or like it's not got people telling you the urgency of what's happening it's all expressed through like how bold the colors are the contrast between the like the moodiness of one part of that conversation against the urgency and brightness of the other half of that conversation and then it's immediately followed by like a really manga-esque sort of introduction to the main villain as well and those yeah. those like those four or five beats in succession work really well together. And I love when a, a comic can do that without having to use lots of words. And it, it's telling that sort of the, um, the main narration is woven into the dialogue for that whole thing. So it's not like the, the narration over the top isn't always explaining it's in dialogue with the moment yeah. because it's sort of reflecting back on what's happened. And like, I, I just, I, I think that's, really difficult to do without coming across as like tortured um but this felt very natural and uh, yeah i'm really into it and you can tell that i'm a bit thrown off my game because i didn't I, I wasn't able to talk about the things that i wanted to talk about in issue number two but hopefully in the next podcast we can uh, if if not issue number three by that point then at least we can talk about number two together i'm gonna have to check that out i mean this this is the problem there's just so many great comics out there in the moment mm. and I've, my time is finite and I read so much comics but I just don't have time to read them all yeah I'm really glad that Leon put me onto this one because it's yeah. very much my kind of thing I mean I love comics Ray I love every kind <laughs> of comic I, I just want to read all of them but I can't I can't read every comic I can't read every comic <laughs> <laughs> so Moving on from there, it's another one that we were given a preview copy of. So this is another one for Vault Comics. This is one that I read. This is The Devil's Red Bride, and it's The Devil's Red Bride number one. Uh, so I'll do credits up top for this. This is written by Sebastian Gurner. Art is by John Bivens. Uh, colors by Iris Monaghan. Letters by Jeff Powell. Um, designed by Tim Daniel and uh, editing by Adrian Mossel. And this is in shops October 14th, 2020. So uh, get this added to your pre-order list. Um, up top with this, it's John Bivens of the awesome cult classic creature feature. Um, and it's Sebastian Gurner of Scales and Scoundrels and also the TKO Comics Editor-in-Chief. And this is Samurai Cinema Does Comics. So if I get you the blurb for this book. 16th century Japan. The fates of warlords ebb and flow like tides of blood. None more than the Aragami clan who follow their lord clad in the red devil mask into every battle. But when Lord Aragami succumbs to illness, his daughter, the fierce Ketsuko, hatches a plot to save her people no matter the cost. 
Years later, as Ketsuko wanders the heaving battlefields of her ruined homeland, she discovers a chance to avenge the terrible wrong done to her clan, even if it means stepping back onto a road steeped in slaughter. This is from writer Sebastian Gurner, shirtless bear fighter and Scales and Scoundrels, and artist John Bivens of Creature Feature and Spread, comes a blood-drenched love letter to samurai fiction in a chilling tale of guilt, trauma, and vengeance. So, this is absolutely awesome. Uh, it is samurai noir dripping with atmosphere. It is The atmosphere just oozing from the deep shadows and the dark utilised on the page. And it just makes this book so claustrophobic and so intense and so unrelenting. It's just brilliant for that. And um, so when I say samurai cinema, by the way, I mean um, Akira Kurosawa, that type of stuff. And um, what is very specifically cool about this uh, comic and the samurai story that this comic tells is that it is actually referencing and paying homage to um, Onobugeisha, who are female martial artists, uh, a type of female warrior that were belonging to Japanese nobility, and they engaged in battle alongside samurai men, mainly in times of need. Um, and it's like these were like kind of like largely unsung or uncelebrated female heroes of feudal Japan, if you like, these, these female samurai. And uh, what this book does is it kind of brings that into the light and to the forefront, which I think is kind of cool with this this lead character being this this badass female Ronan. Um, like um, examples of um, Onobugeisha, you've got uh, people uh, such as Tomoe Gozen or Empress Jingu. Um, and like these are like fierce legendary warriors in their own right. Uh, and it's really kind of cool. You can check all of that stuff out. There's tons of it about. Um, it's just one of those things that never gets talked about a lot because, you know, history, right? Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, Bivens' art lends to this kind of like claustrophobic and intense and unrelenting thing that this book has going on with like the depictions of the violence and the heavy battle scenes that do not shy away from the grotesque reality. It's muddy and it's bloody. Um, the horrific side of this is different to his work on cult classic but you can see that this is what he excels at and he brings it um yeah so japanese cinema movies like uh as the in in japanese chambara sort of equivalent to westerns in western cinema um and this is this is all of that this is just all of that a fantastic character of what you expect from samurai cinema or the works of people like akira kurosawa mm. um the designs of these characters are awesome this deadly female ronin dress head to toe in red dispensing justice her way where she sees fit like this this badass female martial artist um it's refreshing for this sort of story and this book has me from page one i caught the glint of its blade and before i knew what was ha what happened i was tasting blood holding my stomach together as the book strolled away into the forest <laughs> and it is aggressive with atmosphere. So, yeah, I mean, like I opened the book and then it was that thing where there's a flash of white and then all of a sudden I'm just like holding my stomach, just like, so, and then there's like blood dripping from me and then I drop to my knees and then the comic sheaths its sword and then I fall in half. <laughs> so are we talking like <laughs> big geysers of blood here? Kind of <laughs> more like it's, 
it doesn't do the spray thing that that you get in in these types of stories a lot of. I mean, that's is that more of an anime thing? I don't know. I don't know. There's there was, like, there's a lot of uh, like a samurai film like yeah. later that had they geysers. had the spray. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's less of the geysers and more of the like. Um, so far, anyway, it's more like um, you'll get blood, but it, it's it's kind of like it drips out and it. it it doesn't. It's not. It's not spraying. It's kind of just like convulsing, vomiting forward. I guess is the best way to describe it. Bubbling up and vomiting forward rather than spraying out because an artery's been sliced. But yeah, um, I aggressive with atmosphere. Are it, 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 this book is amazing. Check it out. Um, and that is going to be available um, on the fourteenth uh, of October, and uh, you should really, really get on this because it's it's something. It's just something that is very refreshing and very cool, and I I, I wholeheartedly recommend this to anyone that enjoys uh, samurai movies, samurai stories, because it is it is for you. Um, final book. Uh, so this is something actually that, um, I have sort of mentioned excitement for on previous episodes leading up to today, actually. Um, and, uh, this is something that ended up on this episode because one of you two picked it up and shamefully not me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I, I mean, I've had it and I've got it and I've read it and I'm going to talk about it today now, but this is only on the list because of one of you guys. Um, which I'm kind of a little bit like, you know, ashamed of. Really. I was surprised it <laughs> wasn't. I've been talking about it for weeks. I was surprised <laughs> it wasn't on the list when I looked. I was like, oh, this is out. Yeah. Because I had an October date, but that's the, the second issue. Yeah. This is Lock and Key in Pale Battalions. And uh, this book was released in August, um, end of August. So was it... Um, not last week, the week before. Like, was it final week of August? This I couldn't tell you. Um, Not sure because this totally slipped by me, and I'm glad that you guys reminded me that it was. Yeah. yeah, I think I think this is like a symptom of the fact that we've had two long form discussions. Mm. August twenty sixth, yeah. So final, final sort of end of August type thing. Um, but yeah, this is this is like a symptom of the fact that we've had two long form discussions in between. Uh, what we term chatty episodes <laughs> so um we we've kind of like skipped over this so now we're going to give it the air it deserves so this is lock and key impale battalions go part one of three there's going to be three of these this is the next chapter in the um lock and key golden age um sort of like collection of short stories um a lot of which we've already mentioned. I'd like to do like a big lock and key deep, deep dive one day, actually, guys. What do you reckon? I'd be game. Yeah, I'd be happy to yeah. revisit all of that. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we could. It'd be something we'd have to do over several episodes. That's like a series in itself. But like, we could do lock and key, and then we can explore all the golden age stuff as well. So, um, yeah, this is lock and key in Pale Battalions one. Um, Leon, do you want to take it away? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can give her like an overview. I don't have uh, a blurb or anything, but um, actually, this 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 bit uh, might help. Which war is it? It's World War One. It's definitely World War One. I. I I I thought so, yeah. but I was I was unsure. 
until like the last yeah. preview for the next bit. Okay, so like it's um, it's World War One, and young John Locke, uh, he really wants to go to war. Like in in his idea, in his mind, it's like we've got these these keys uh, that. Uh, my parents keep uh, arms uh, keep me at arm's length with the more powerful keys, and it's like it's Uncle Ben. Great power comes great responsibility. Great responsibility. It's like if if we have all these powers and stuff, we should we should be going out there and joining the fray. Uh, and they're they're in uh, in uh, up in Maine, right? So he uh, the the comic starts in Canada, where he is. Pretend trying to enlist and pretending he's Canadian. He's as Canadian <laughs> as uh, what was it? It's hockey, hockey sticks, and um... hockey sticks and something. What was yeah. it? Poutine. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't poutine. <laughs> <laughs> hockey sticks and maple syrup. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like he's in the office trying to uh, trying to blag it. The guy's not really buying it, but you do get the feeling that if uh, he was to do that task or whatever. Like back then, especially like recruiting for those two wars, they're a bit slippery with uh, letting letting people underage people in. Um, but then uh, the door opens behind him, and instead of it being the street, it's a uh, it's a room, and an older man, his father, yanks him through, slams the door behind him, leaving the recruitment guy uh, completely frazzled as to what happened. And I I think that. Um, like the main backbone of this particular issue is like the tenacity and like I was saying before about responsibility. Um, John, he just he feels bad uh, and he d- that that sneaky little shit. <laughs> but like <laughs> the thing is, he he feels bad. But like, whereas like some of the other lock and key things. The teens are like, isn't this cool? You can jump in each other's brains and do all this mm-hmm. stuff. He actually is like, he has a purpose, like, and his purpose is to to go out there and and fight the the, the good fight, going to fight the in the Great War because he sees not participating in it as uh, a thing of shame, and he's kind of like frustrated with his father uh, on like why won't they do anything about it. Hmm. And when they have the power to or the means to do so. Yeah. yeah. And through that, as Greg alluded to, this kid is he is smart. <laughs> like yeah. he just it sets up like a, a level of he's dominance. Not, he's not smart. He's he's diabolical. And to be diabolical, he's... you need to be smart. <laughs> yeah, he's connivingly clever. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he he basically sets up like a, a house of cards or like a set of dominoes and puts everything into play. <laughs> and it, it works really works really well. And and through him doing so and trying trying to get into Belgium, um, uh, we get to meet like the other members of his family and we get a bit of a bit of backstory. Um and we, we see some of the some of the keys that are, are in play. Yeah. So you're like obviously the anywhere keys there, teleporting people around, got the philosophoscope, which is uh, how his dad found him. Uh you've got uh the music box, which uh, plays a vital part in this. We see a letter key, which is quite cool. That's a new one, right? I, f- I feel I feel so. I don't remember it from, 
from what I've yeah, read. I feel I feel like that's in, I feel like the letter keys are needed. Yeah, thing. like you get letters of uh, like. It, it, I think that the the premise with the letter key is that it takes stuff, um, like like pe- like errant thoughts of like uh, and dreams and prints them. I get the feeling it's a crossover with the um, the other new lock and key book coming out, which crosses over with the Sandman. Um, so I, oh, I get that. I think it's the stories from the dreaming because I mm, think it's yeah. Lucian and uh, Abel. Uh, that she receives letters from, and they were the keepers of the dream, or some something like that. If I remember Sandman correctly, like their characters. Oh and yeah. Okay. So this is this is leading into Helen Gone. I guess so. Yeah. Because one of the books she receives is like unwritten, an unwritten story by Mark Twain, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Helen Gone will be um, the next sort of like Golden Age books. Mm which will be the ones where they cross lock and key with the Sandman universe, which sounds brutally amazing. Like, I can't think of anything better, but there we go. I'm excited for that. And, like, uh, I, I think what we have here is, like, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez doing their thing. Uh, because it, it, I don't know, it's like something, com- like a comfort feeling that I have <laughs> anytime these, these, uh, Either the one shots or the the short comics come out since we've finished the whole run. It's like, oh, I'm spending like some time back at uh, Key House and uh, the shenanigans that have happened in the past. And there's no big overarching uh, thing happening. It, we're just spending some time with these people and, and seeing how they interacted with the keys and seeing really how um, like their character and the issues that they have and the world around them affects how they use the keys. And it, it is interesting because it, 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 a level of it makes me think about what will happen in the like super, super future when people look back and think about how people at the turn of this century used uh, like the various things we use, like social media or whatever, like if there was an mm-hmm. archive. Like it is interesting to see uh, like how these people like wield their power because i mean this secret was kept for <laughs> quite a long time um and these keys can do all all, all manner of wild stuff so it, it is cool to see um to just be back in this world and you've got like the the very like hillian uh sort of deadpan humor you've got like the really nice um onomatopoeia sounds with interactions with things and uh you've you've got like you don't have too much of it in this issue, but you've still got a lot of the uh, great sort of geography and um, sort of landmarking that uh, Rodriguez is, is is great at. Uh, and like J Photo's colors are, they just have that sort of, uh, there's a nice feeling to it. It's hard to explain because whereas like the typical thing that I would say vibrant or whatever <laughs> that I uh, overuse, usually it just means like neon or it's uh blossoming in the face with like some sort of fusion but like with this like the colors are vibrant but they they're uh, i won't say they're, they're muted they just have a, a more like gradient like realistic feeling like there's a nice warmth to them and especially like the backgrounds they really um uh like foreground the uh the key characters really well and they do well to set you in a place and a location and a time uh without distraction but you don't feel lost like where the hell are these now like the what they're in the middle of a field you you can garner from 
where it looks and how it looks and how it's designed where everyone is and where they are in the grounds of of, of key house and we do even get uh, a bit more cave shenanigans and um yeah it, it, it's great like i just love i just i love looking at the panels uh with lock and key yeah, there's something really comforting about Rodriguez's art, isn't there? Mm. Like maybe it's just familiarity because we loved the original like run so much, but also just like the way he draws faces and like how um, scraggly he makes the world look. It looks very natural and like and like. That... Mm, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just gonna say like and like the repetition of panels we get. Uh, like I just love that usage where you you get like three panels in a row and it's a character doing something in some way or. Or like, uh, and the action will be shown between two panels, and the panels are almost exactly the same, apart from the action the character's done and the 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 effect that action has had in the location they were in. Yes, yeah, so I, I get the feeling you're talking about the scene where Johnny sat on a fence outside, which is what I've just been looking at, um, possibly. Or you're talking about the intro where he's talking to the uh, the enlistment guy. Um, but talking about the, the bit where Johnny sat on the fence, like for me, the the touchstone for that is like Lord of the Rings where it's got a very verdant feel to it and it just feels mm. really like coming back home and just feels like lovely and warm. But then the the twist on this concept is like Johnny sat there waiting for his mum to come up and you think they're just having a natural like conversation where he's done something wrong and he's waiting to be told off. But then it turns out he's waiting to enact just the next step in his devious plan. And like, I love those kind of things where you think one thing is happening, but then another's happening. Uh, yeah. Uh, similarly to Seven Secrets, I like stories which have like MacGuffins and concepts and like Lock and Key is a story all about concepts manifested because like each key has a different radical thing that it can do. And like some of the best moments in those stories were where you discover the mechanism of this thing and then you discover the mechanism of another key and then you realize through the plot and through the characters like how those things can interact with each other. And what I love about this one specific issue is Johnny's like devious conniving plan um and to make a slight tangent like we've been playing Among Us recently and I've learned that lying is easy but lying with purpose is really hard and like having this lay like knowing what you're lying about and what it adds to the the narrative that you're you know spinning is really difficult which is why I realize like Johnny's cleverer than I am because I could never pull this off but he has this like multi-step process that he enacts and like screws over multiple members of his family and like it's just interesting <laughs> watching that play out and and yeah. also the mechanisms of the keys that he's using and understanding well enough to pull it off like all of that is just beautiful i love it can i can can i just go off on a wild tangent sure ever so slightly because i've just for some reason i, I don't know why it just popped in there um i'm thinking about the goose from untitled goose game having access to the keys I would play that game. And like, imagine like Untitled Goose Game, but a key house add-on <laughs> where you have to like mess with people using the keys. That'd be amazing. Like, like someone just needs that. to make that right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But anyway, uh, what I also wanted to bring up actually is like the, because like Gabriel Rodriguez, the artist, he has like a, um, a, a sense of space and a sense of like object placement and person placement when you see the way he draws rooms and the way he draws people in rooms in some of like, you've got, you've got panels that almost take on a plan view. Um, and it's like everything works from different angles and everything's in the right place. And everything is always, um, 
like meticulously thought out and placed specifically um everything has a place and everything from it you, doesn't matter what angle you're looking at the room from everything's where it should be there's no um the continuity there is is perfect with placement of people objects and space and whatever within the panels and um like this is something i think i've we've probably brought up a few times on the cast but like his background in architecture yeah um which gives him that kind of like unique skill i guess with things like that and and also the way he draws the building and the way he plans the building out and the way rooms are constructed and everything else it's just uh it's gorgeous um Oh, uh, I just wanted to bring up a couple of things, actually, some lock and key news to go with this, because um, lock and key is getting a, like an omnibus edition, if you like, in October. The key house companion, the key house compendium, which is going to be like 900 page hardcover thing, which sounds pretty cool. Wow. If you've not read lock and key yet and you don't already own lock and key like I do, then that's what you should buy. 900 pages and all. It... That just sounds annoying to read. Yeah, I was going to say, is it what you should buy? You need like a lectern to read that on. It's, <laughs> it's a tome. Yeah. You need to like live in a church and put it up on the... <laughs> I imagine it like like the Church of Comics. <laughs> that's that's just Greg's house, right? <laughs> you need to get one of these. I want to see in your attic like a lectern that you can read your 900 page tome of, of Lock and Key on. It's just reading omnibus editions upright, like I'm giving a sermon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, and um, yeah, so this, uh, I was going to, but you've already brought it up, actually, because we've already talked about it, but like the Sandman universe crossover, Hell and Gone, hmm. which uh, gets an issue zero in October, um, which I'm looking forward to. Now, issue zero just basically collects a couple of um, already printed stories which are kind of like an introduction to key ha uh, the key lock and key universe and the Sandman universe, and also shows the point where the two m kind of intersect um, because it reprints, if I can find the information I found. So this is like word on the street stuff. Um, so Helen Gone Zero will um, reprint Open the Moon, which is like Chamberlain Lock with the moon key. Um, and, um, it sort of like, um, goes almost directly into the events of the Helen Gone series, uh, with, um, like, a, there's, it reprints, um, Sandman Seasons of Miss chapter one, issue 22 as well. And it's like a refresher for anyone who's unfamiliar with either series. And it kind of likes where the two meet and join together, which I think is probably like you were saying about the letter key that, that, that might be where that comes in. Hmm. Okay. I mean, like, we should do a Sandman deep dive one day as well. <laughs> so many deep. Sandman will take us forever <laughs> to get through. That's a... Yeah, but it's amazing. It is it's incredible. Like, yeah. You know, mm. Yeah. Get your cure records out. Um. <laughs> so I guess that does that does that bring us to a finish? Comics wise, I think it does, doesn't it? I would just add that uh, Lock and Key uh, in Pale, but. Tillian, she said it's going to be one to three, and yeah. it's written by Joe Hill, art done by Gabriel Rodriguez, colors done by J Photos, and letters done by Sean Lee. And that's yes. out on, uh, what's it called? What's the publisher again for that one? IDW. IDW. I don't read that much <laughs> IDW stuff these, these days. And do you know how hard it is yeah. to not say image? 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when like the major like we had, there was a point where we were pretty much going on to becoming the image cast, wasn't there? Like <laughs> we had like Yeah, these days for me we it feels like some... Boom Studios are putting out everything that I like. But uh yes, well, yeah. IDW. Yeah, so you should go check that out in Pelver Times Go. So on to the pull list. So um we've got for the 30th of the 9th, this is 30th of September, we've got Batman, Three Jokers, number two. Uh, we have got um, X-Factor, number four, which is going to be the next chapter in um, X of Swords, following on from X of Swords creation. This is X of Swords, chapter two, because this kind of expands across all the books. Um, we've got... Um, Batman, the Joker Warzone number one, which is kind of like a thing that spins out of the Joker War stuff that's going on in the main Batman stuff right now. Um, we've got the Department of Truth number one, which is an uh, interesting little thing from Image Comics that I'm going to blast through just the um, the premise quickly because this is like uh, this is kind of different so cole turner has studied conspiracy theories all his life but he isn't prepared for what happens when he discovers that all of them are true <laughs> from the jfk assassination to flat earth theory and reptilian shapeshifters one organization has been covering them up for generations what is the deep dark secret behind the department of truth and this is uh, james tinian of the batman line and uh this is um martin simmons as the artist um, and I think that kind of sounds interesting. It's like, what if everything that people believe, like what if all these ridiculous things that people believe are actually real? Uh, another X-Men book, giant size X-Men tribute to wine and Cockerham, which, uh, I'm down to, I'm down for X-ray robot number two, which I've been waiting for since lockdown hit and killed comics for a while. Um, and we had like, I had the first issue of X-Ray Robot and I was just like, need me some Allred, please. Where's the rest of my Allred? And then like, I had to wait and wait and wait and wait. We talked about issue one on a previous episode, but now we've got X-Ray Robots issue two coming uh, this week. So I'm pretty happy for that. And also uh, TMNT, the best, of, uh, the best of Raphael, which is um, a collection of reprinted Raphael stories from like various points in TMNT history across different publishers and things which is basically stories that showcase the ever surly Raphael, and it's almost 100 pages long and uh, it's going to be great so if you want kind of like some tmnt flavor check that out because that's going to be cool uh ray yeah just a couple uh that texas blood number four um reason i bring this up is we talked about number one in our episode number 91 back in july and i remember I distinctly remember saying, I really want to carry this on, and then it completely fell out of my head. So I'm reminder for myself and everyone else to catch up on to number four. And then also uh, trade paperback number three for the avant-garde, which is something I brought up a while back. It's a boombox comic about um, kids playing basketball. It's just cute fun, uh, and it's excuse for me to catch up on that as well. 7.10. We're into October now, seven days into October. Uh, if 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 I manage to keep it up, which I'm hoping I will this year, uh, Batman 100, which um, Joker has a bat suit, he's driving around in a ridiculous purple stretch hummer. Um, he's stolen all of Bruce's money, and he's just generally being a dick. <laughs> so right. this, as the Joker is wont to do. So this is uh, this is Joker War, 
this is what's going on in the Batman comics currently. But yeah, Batman 100. I sent you guys a picture of the Joker Batsuit, actually, didn't I? Yes. On uh, WhatsApp, yeah. <laughs> I don't sure. know if you looked at it. <laughs> I, know. But... <laughs> I know Marv looked at it because I sent it Marv as well. But yeah, it's like Joker's basically um, trying to fully pervert everything that is the idea and concept of Batman and what Batman means to Gotham in this whole story, Joker War, which I will probably talk about in, at some length at another time. Because um, right now is not the time. So then we've got Wolverine number six, X Force number thirteen, and Marauders number thirteen, which are the next three chapters in X of Swords, because they're just doing this across the whole line. Um, so it begins with Marauders number thirteen, which is um, going to be X of. Oh, hold on, which way around I'm going? Yeah, X of Swords. So you start with. Um, X of Swords chapter three, which is Wolverine. And then we go to um, X of Swords chapter four, which is going to be X-Force. And then Marauders will be X of, X of Swords chapter five. So yeah, you've got you've to start buying all the Xbox. <laughs> so go figure. Uh, and then, oh yeah, Hellions number five will be the next x of swords chapter so i think x of swords wait oh no no this is just getting confusing now forget that forget what i just said that um just buy them <laughs> buy them and read them um there's a uh there's always with these events that you've always got like the checklist in the back of the book and everything so you don't miss out on anything so you know what to ask your lcs for they're always very helpful in that way as well if you tell them like i always find this that if i tell them i want a specific event and all tie-ins they'll do it uh, next thing, we've got the Legends of the Swamp Thing, Halloween Spectacular. Enough said. Do I need to say any more about why that's on my pull list? Do I really? Uh, we've got Lock and Key, Impale Battalions Go number two, and Norse Mythology number one, which is the newest uh, Neil Gaiman thing, um, where um, Neil Gaiman just breathes new life into Norse stories by uh, doing his thing. Um, and yeah, he just goes from like start to finish through Norse mythology with uh, artist Craig Russell, P. Craig Russell. Um, and yeah, it's uh, something pretty cool looking. And that's, uh, that is um, Dark Horse. So yeah, there you go. Um, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 97. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. And there you can find links to all our various other outlets, such as Twitter, where we are Ace Comicals and the most active. And uh, you can find us to listen to us anywhere. You can find podcasts, um, Spotify, Twitter, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Castro, etc., iTunes, um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, you can message us. You can DM us on Twitter. You can get involved in the conversation at us. Tell us what you've been reading. Send us questions. Um, you can send us, uh, if you if you are so inclined to do so, uh, if you like what you hear, you can send us the uh, a coffee on Kofi and uh, help to keep the lights on here at Ace Comicals. Um, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkeh, so that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? Find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yeah, so um, you can also send us an email at acecomicals at gmail.com if you like to do long-form letters. 
So yeah, get in touch with us. Uh, tell us what you think about what we've been reading. Um, get your thoughts in. Um, join the conversation. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 97. Over and out.